I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! Hello, Austin. Uh, for those of you who listen to Men in Blazers, you'll know me as Michael Davis's dollar half Roger Bennett. For those of you who don't listen, all you really need to know is that for the next hour, I am the closest thing American soccer has to Barbara Walters. <laughs> like many of you, uh, I fell in love with the US team in 1994 when that vision of stonewashed denim-clad pioneers, dreamers, mavericks took to home turf and showed the nation that they could really play. The team has come so far, so fast, we often take it for granted. And perhaps because my own team, England, have spent the past 48 years kind of going down the crapper. (laughs) I adore this American soccer story, absolutely adore it, as its ambition, its vision, its professionalism expands day by day by day. For me, right now, the US team are soccer's version of the Bitcoin. (laughs) They're a mysterious entity that few really understand, but almost everybody will assure you that they are sure to be a force in the future. Our guest today is the gentleman who's been given the opportunity to ensure that that future involves the pursuit of World Cup glory. He is the coach of the US men's national team. He was an amazing player, an unbelievable 80s and 90s, a fearsome forward who destroyed England on a regular occasion. <laughs> he, then, he won the World Cup, he won the Euro, he then became the German coach, took an unfancied team on a darling run all the way into the semi-finals in 2006, and a very difficult thing to do to make the world love and admire the German national football team. <laughs> But this is a gentleman who is now meddling with the tectonic plates of American soccer. Can he do it? I have to say. Yes, he can. Can he do it? To me, he came over after defeating England in the semi-final of 1990. He came over to England to play for a year with Tottenham Hotspur. He, he He was despised. We loathed him. But it took him one game, took him one game to win over the English media and the English people, and with his charm, his style, his play, by the end of the season, he'd run writer's football of the year. And I have one simple rule in life. If you can win over the self-loathing English populace, (laughs) you can pretty well do anything you set your mind to. Under his leadership, the US men's national team have racked up their most successful year in team history. The World Cup gods, let's be honest, they've not been kind. They've given him a trifecta of challenges, a murderer's row of opponents, a barbarous travel schedule, uh, and microclimates that make World Cup for the US seem a little bit like Hunger Games in cleats. (laughs) We're going to talk about it for the next hour. We'll take questions also. So let's welcome to the stage. And you know that as I welcome him, I'm trying to suppress the chant of USA, 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 that lies within. It's my pleasure to welcome to South by Southwest, coach of the U.S. men's national team and U.S. soccer's technical director, Mr. Jürgen Klinsmann. It gives me great pleasure to introduce the new coach of the U.S. men's national team, Jürgen Klinsmann. Camille Bellotti, the president of U.S. Soccer, went out and got the rock star he wanted. This is an incredible personality. He excites the masses with his optimism, with his promise of change. There has always been kind of this feeling around, you know, maybe one day you get the opportunity to coach the U.S. team. And obviously, as most of you know, then I took over Germany for two years, guiding to the World Cup 2006, then had a one-year experience with Bayern Munich. But I always kind of stayed deeply connected with the U.S. So we give it a go and we start already next week uh, in a friendly game against Mexico. Philadelphia, the cradle of American independence of the sights and out of a new chapter in U.S. soccer. The debut of national team coach Jurgen Klinsmann. The shot deflects and it will be turned into the back of the net. And the 
States have their lead. I'm now getting this opportunity to move it further. The United States have beaten Italy for the first time in 82 years of trying. It's come a long way, soccer in the United States. History is made. The United States have won in Mexico at the 25th attempt. Will it go to that? Yes! Jurgen Klinsmann wins his first trophy as the head coach of the United States national team. Let's hear it, Jurgen Klinsmann. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, I've got to tell you, that makes me want to cry watching some of those goals. <laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann, welcome to South by Southwest. It's a little bit like Oktoberfest. <laughs> Although, judging by our audience, I think there's probably double the amount of Lederhosen here in Austin than there are in Munich. World Cup, just 95 days away now. Where are you on a spectrum after returning from Cyprus, lessons learned on that trip? Where are you on a spectrum from calm and focused on one hand to stressed and bandwidth overloaded on the other? Where would you place yourself right now? Um, yeah, we're kind of zooming in right now. We are trying to kind of get our hands around all the players and uh, make them clear uh, that the next 10, 12 weeks really are very, very important in their path towards the World Cup. Um, so we had a chance now uh, to get a lot of the European players you know, with us into Cyprus, play this kind of a weird game with Ukraine because of the situation in the Ukraine. Um, and now we have, you know, in three weeks, we have a, a different opportunity with Mexico with the MLS-based players here uh, and also the Mexican-based players. So we're trying to get our hands around them, monitor them, telling them what really now is important to zoom in. Um, and uh, so I think we're getting more and more excited, you know, because the closer you get now to the World Cup, the more you feel it. When I first met you, you sat me down in L.A. and you said, my goal with the U.S. is not to maintain the standard but to raise the bar, go beyond where we were before. If I just keep doing what we've done before and we stay where we are, that's not good. I have to do it differently. How much do you see yourself as being in the interruption business, a change agent, a cultural innovator, a program strategist, as much as a sports coach? Well, I, I think, you know, we're in no, in no other field than, you know, in the, in the field where you know, the people are here, you know, in, in, in the business world, you know, entertainment world or where, wherever your, your job is, um, you can't do it the same way as you did it the last couple of years because then you eventually you're not, you're not getting anywhere. So in order to get to the next level, wherever that is, you know, you've got to kind of mix things up and, and change it and see what is out there. I mean, like everybody's here at this convention to see what's new out there, what can I learn, what can I kind of take with now, come leaving Austin then. Uh, same with us in the professional soccer world is, you know, we want to kind of see what is Brazil doing, what is Spain doing, what is Germany doing, and catch up with them and, and uh, move the players out of their comfort zone, make them clear that, you know, sports or the professional area is about today and about tomorrow. It's not about the past. You know, past doesn't help you when you have to approach tomorrow a game that maybe has players like Neymar or Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi and these guys. So... Um, I'm a deep believer in that you can only get to the next level if you do it differently than you did it before. I mean, you do it with your own style. There's an American kind of coaching style when you're a winner, and you are a winner. You've won a World Cup. You've won the Euros. When you meet an American coach, they sit down. They always put their hand on the table. That hand normally is clad in Super Bowl winning rings. And, and that, that hand is authority. That hand says pretty well all that needs to be said. I mean, you do it in a very different way. You almost seem to play your own pass down. Can you talk about why you do that and when you do choose to use your lessons learned as a player and a coach in the past? Well, well I think, you know, it, no matter what area you, you work in, um, it always helps, you know, if you work with people that you can look at and say, okay, you know, he kind of knows what he's talking about because he might have done it before. 
but but soccer is a little bit it's its own world you know and 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 very different to to baseball football maybe a little bit more similar to basketball soccer is a, a, a is an inner driven sport. That means it's a player's game, you know. So it's very difficult, you know, for the coaches here in the United States that grew up with the other big sports to understand that actually the players make the calls. <laughs> the players make the decisions. They decide on the field if they want to dribble, pass, shoot, or whatever they want to do. So as a coach, you become more like a guide. You, you kind of are more a helper. Um, and you have to give them the responsibility actually to get the job done. You know, now, I mean, if you talk about American football, it's all, everything is a set piece, you know. It's the next play that we studied and we kind of learned inside out and, and they have to execute it exactly the same, the way I told them to. It's not going to work in soccer. Soccer is a, is a very kind of intuitive and improvised game. Um, and my biggest challenge is here when I talk with coaches is to make them clear, kind of take a step back. You know, let the players decide. You know, if they make the same mistake five times, eventually, the, at the sixth or seventh time, they will think, you know what, I gotta try it a different way. I'm not getting anywhere. Um, so, um, this is kind of the, the stage that we're going through with soccer in this country is to actually pass on the power to the players. You know, and this is what I tell our players now going to the World Cup. I tell them, listen, this is, this is the only World Cup you're gonna play in your life in Brazil because there won't be another World Cup in your career time in Brazil because there won't be another one in the next 40, 50 years, you know. Unfortunately, we're going to have one in Qatar and <laughs> Russia and all places. But, but the players, the players need, they need to understand to take things in their own hands. I mean, it's like you come to the convention and say, I take things in my own hands. I choose the lectures. I choose whatever session I want to see, and I want to learn out of it. That's, what, that's the stage that we are in with, with soccer in this country. We want to empower the players to understand, you know, where their next level is. So if I one day become a professional, my next level, I mean, obviously, is, is MLS. If I'm in MLS, my next level is maybe a big club in Europe. And then maybe a club that plays for the Champions League. And maybe, you know, I, I can prove it always in another level. Uh, but it's, it's not the coach that does that. You know, it's, it's, the coach is just there to, to help you understand it. It's, it's the, the athlete. It's the player himself. And so we're in that transition from a very reactive environment. We react to what happens out there to proactive telling the player, hey, you know, grab this thing, you know, train two, three times more a week for yourself because you eventually want to go down to Brazil and, and, and make things happen. I mean, coaches in the international game do so many things. They're motivators, they're strategists, tacticians, PR experts, brand managers, psychiatrists. If they're English coaches, they have to do all of the above while having their lives mined by tabloid journalists trying to find dirt. If you were to succinctly say what the role of a coach is, an international coach, what the most important thing a coach can do for an international team, when you have this team so fleetingly, what is it? I think it's like in many other areas, it's people management. and, and obviously you need to know the game, so you need to know the topic, and if you work in the media world, you need to know the media world, how it works, but at the end of the day, it's you guide a group of people with all different talents and different experts that you have. You might have the psychologists, you have the, the doctors, the medical staff, you have you know your scouts, you have IT people, um, so you have a group that is actually bigger staff-wise than the group of players that you have. So it's very, very important that you guide this whole team and the team behind the team through a process that, you know, is, is a World Cup. And a World Cup now is a is the single biggest event, you know, in the world. It's bigger than the Olympics, you know, and it's only one sport. Um, and and uh, so I would say, you know, you can always fill in people that are really good in areas where you are weak, you know, but at the end of the day, you need to have at least a talent to guide that, that group of people that the chemistry is positive, that the excitement is there, um, that they are able to go through difficult moments and, and deal with critic, critics and, you know, and, and, and negative issues. And, uh, uh, and therefore, it's, I would say it's people management, first of all. As Rebecca mentioned, I've just had the honor with my mate John Hawk of starting filming the ESPN series Inside U.S. Soccer's March to Brazil. We had the pleasure of following you and the team around for the week in, uh, in Frankfurt and in Cyprus. As you prepare for the game against Ukraine, I marvel, to be honest, that the, the, the positivity that you go about your working day with. It doesn't matter whether it was with players in meetings, coaches, 
soldiers who wanted to stop and take selfies with you, even our film crew. You are from morning until night just unbelievably positive. I'm a terribly negative person. For me, the class You're, you're is, English. For me, the <laughs> 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 for me, you, have, for me. you haven't won a World Cup for a long time. Man. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's not. No, it's worse than being English. I'm also Jewish. <laughs> so. And you me. won it with a goal that wasn't a goal. So. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna go there. We're, we're gonna okay, go there we'll in the second half. Afterwards. Oh, for, for, for me, the glass is the glass isn't just half full. It's always cracked. Where does your where does your positivity come from? Where does it come from? Um, oh, I, I, I don't know, Roger. I mean, um, I was very blessed um, to kind of come through soccer, um, kind of giving me basically guidance in my life. I, I never had a chance to go to college. You know, I admired always people going to college. You know, I turned pro at 16, and then I traveled different countries or played in different countries. So I realized after t- certain times, shoot, you know, this could be actually your type of college, even if they don't give you a degree for it. So I, I played in Italy, France, England, and, and, and I learned my way around there. And, uh, and obviously living here um, with an American wife here since more than 15 years in this country, learning also a lot from other American sports and, and the culture here and, and, and the way of taking things. And I think the American culture in itself is a, is a very positive-driven culture. You know, the Americans always are ambitious. They want to do things. You know, they want to make things happen. They're never hap- happy with being you know, second in, in whatever they do, it's just in your DNA. And, and that helped me obviously a lot, you know, when I coached Germany for two years there for the World Cup 2006, you know, um, they kind of called me the, the Americanized German, you know, he's always, you know, driven, he kind of never gives up and, 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 and they, did, they didn't mean that as a compliment. No, they, they, <laughs> they, um, they kind of uh, um, had on the tabloid papers every, every flight I took to Germany how much it was, and you know, and and uh, uh, criticized every little thing we did. But, but I, I think, you know, when uh, you want to develop things, you want to make things better. So I, every one of us wants to kind of raise the bar and wants to do things better than you did it yesterday. And, and I think you need to have a positive nature. If, if, if you think, you know, uh, the class is, you know, obviously half empty and you think always about, you know, what could happen if we lose that game or what could happen if this goes wrong, then eventually it will happen that way. Uh, you got to take it, it the positive way and you got to, um, even if we go into Brazil and we have the group of death, we, we play three countries that are very difficult to play, um, you got to take it positively and say, you know, so, so what? You know, let's, let's take them on and let's surprise some, some people out there. And, But, but if your players uh, uh, see that you already have doubts, then their doubts will get bigger and bigger with every day they prepare for Ghana and Portugal with Cristiano Ronaldo and, and obviously Germany, one of the favorites to win the World Cup. And, and uh, uh, on a God, I think on a God-given day in nice sports... Nice to see Yogi in the audience here. <laughs> the beauty of, of sports, and, and, and in our case of soccer, is that you don't know what happens the next 90 minutes when you play. You do not know, you know. And that's what we're going to tell our players. Listen, you know, it's all in your, in your own hands. And, and make it happen. Why not? You are focused on the short term, game for game, qualifying for the World Cup, trying to get out of that group, going deep in, please God. But would you say that your biggest challenge, because you're also the technical director of U.S. soccer, is that you're trying to make massive changes while trying to maintain results-driven football in the short term? Yeah, I mean, you juggle both, both worlds. Um, I mean, our absolute priority has the World Cup right now uh, and everything we do, 95 days before it, you, you mentioned that. But at the same time, you, wanna, you want the game to grow here. And the, the game is on a very fast-paced lane right now in this country. It's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the media attention is getting bigger and, and more and more kids play the game. And so there are so many areas where you want to see it improving. Um, so that's why I love this role as technical director. At the same time, is you know I want to help to improve coaches' education. I want to help to include, uh, improve the grassroots level. I want to help you know MLS to 
make their next steps to become a real, real big league uh, one day, and they've, they're working on it very, very hard. So you want to be part of that process, you know. You want to uh, uh, feel that also, and that vibe that is to um, yeah, is around the game now in this country, and and I think it can only grow. Um, and I'm not saying you have to compete with American football, baseball, basketball. It's not. You know, this country has more than 300 million people. There's enough space for, for soccer. And uh, um, this is why it's so exciting now at the same time coaching the, the senior team, also doing the other stuff as well. well I, I get such a kick. Like last week, we were, this time last week actually, we were in Germany. You spoke to the German media. I, I got a huge kick out of seeing you talk to the German media in German whilst wearing a top that had the USA uh, team emblazoned upon it as you prepared to train that USA team in Germany to play the Germans in Brazil. It was just like wheels within wheels. You, 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 told, me, you told me it was just, that's just modern football. That's just modern football. But I do wonder, you've been here since 1998 in this great country. How much of you, when you look inside, do you feel German and how much do you feel American now? Oh, I, I, I think that I'm a, I'm, I'm a mix of all sorts of stuff, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I played in Italy for uh, quite a few years. That's where I also met my wife. Uh, and and uh, then France with Arsene Wenger, who's now coaching Arsenal since a long time. And, and then I moved on to England and, and go back to Germany. So I, I took a lot of, you know, the things that I learned along the way. And obviously I learned a lot about the American way of doing things, you know. And that I think that's a part of the positivity and, and the kind of, approach that we are able to do things and make it happen um, so uh, I, I'm thankful to that you know I, don't, I can't see in the future and, 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 and I, I don't know yet where we're going to end up in this World Cup hopefully at the very end but uh, uh, I think you just learn on a daily basis and, and this is what I take all in and that's why you know this is for me as, as much of a learning experience as it is for you hopefully you played, as you say, in Europe, and there's some unbelievable coaches, Wenger, Minotti, Trapattoni. But while you've been here, you've also studied with some of the greats of American coaching. You spent time with Phil Jackson, Coach K, Pete Carroll. How has that exposure to American coaching culture changed your philosophy? Well, I, I think this is a, a country of open-mindedness. You know, this is where you always look around the corner and wanna, you want to learn. And, and I had that opportunity, you know, to, to walk into their environments and check them out and, and see how they're doing things. And, and it was just uh, it was just absolutely amazing for me that the world, you know, uh, if it's now a Phil Jackson or a Pete Carroll that showed me kind of how they kind of cut their, you know, scouting pieces together and they have the plays from games in the college system 10, 15 years ago and, and where IT basically is in their area and where is it compared to the soccer area and I realized walking out of his office that day at USC years ago is that we are nowhere at, in, in soccer. <laughs> they got it all broken down already. Um, so <laughs> you can learn from everyone out there and, and, and kind of soccer, you, you use it as a, as a door opener, you know, and... and uh, uh, it's, it's fun. You're a man of many mantras. You talk a lot about comfort zone. You talk a lot about players, m the need for them to push themselves to the next level. Despite that, a number of the American players, a number of the spine of the team, have moved back to America to play in MLS. If I were to say, we feel a little bit as if, as if we are as far away from developing a world-class outfield American player now as we have been in a long time. What would you say to that? Well, um, you always have to kind of put your mind into the other person. And uh, um, now MLS being able to bring, you know, big names, our big names back from Europe for a lot of money and and give them a, a guarantee for their future, you need to understand that, you know, and, and, and I do that, you know. At the same time, you know, you want to have the league grow here, but you also want to have your players you know, playing with the best in the world, and the best in the world, they're playing in Europe, you know, it's just a matter of fact, and so you, you juggle those things, and you help them going through those years, or, and, and, and hopefully you give them good advice, um, but this is kind of the, the, the whole challenge in our landscape of, of soccer in this country, is that so many pieces floating around, and to connect those pieces, it's still there's still a couple of years of work ahead of us, um, but, but I understand it, um, um, still, you know, the next one coming through the pipeline, the first thing I'm going to tell him is, you know, if you get a chance going to a big club in Europe, you go. 
you know, because uh, again, you move out of your comfort zone. Again, you got to fight your way through. Uh, again, you have to kind of convince people to, to make you play and, and kind of you climb the ladder like in any other profession, you do that. Um, and don't, don't settle with uh, where you are. And, and this is kind of a constant talk we have with, with our players is never settle, not even for one second, because then you stop and you go downhill and the next one passes you right away. I mean, I had the pleasure of writing an oral history of the 1994 World Cup. I spoke to Eric Winalda, and he made me understand some of what you've been trying to say in a, in a personal way. He said that he was the first soccer player, to, American, to play in the Bundesliga. He said on his first day, Oliver Kahn, the great German goalkeeper, came up to him as he was warming up, patted him on the back and said, here's a lesson for you about the Bundesliga. He said, we don't smile at the end of the game when we lose. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then in his second game, he missed. He said he missed an easy shot. He said he nervously giggled. And at halftime, one of his own teammates came up to him in the locker room, banged him in the face of a cleat, and said, "You miss, we don't get paid." And the team made him apologise to the guy who cleated him in the face. He said, "Why am I apologising to that guy?" He's like, "You do. You just do." <laughs> Can you, can you talk about the differences that you've seen in the mentality between the American players you now coach and the German players you used to coach who we will meet in 2014 at the World Cup mentally? Well, this is what we kind of dream of, uh, seeing the game here in the United States kind of developing into an environment where there is peer pressure, there is social pressure, there is kind of accountability and responsibility for what they're doing. So if you miss an easy shot, we want the player to be responsible for that. We want them to go next day to the, the supermarket or the gas station or the, the butcher and the baker and, and get a quote from that fan saying, why did you miss that shot? You know, that is, and that's what, we are not there yet. You know, and that's what, what Eric experienced, you know, whatever you do in the big leagues in Europe or uh, in South America is you miss a, a, a big moment, you're accountable for it, you know. So, so you're not smiling that day. Um, you take that seriously. You take it with yourself and prepare for the next game even more focused and more ambitious than you did before, and then you don't miss it anymore. Um, and this is something that will grow over time also in this country because the more popular soccer gets in this country, the more the people, you guys, will will take them the next morning when you maybe see them in the street or whatever, or they're going shopping or whatever they do, and tell them that you were crap yesterday. You know? <laughs> and, and this is important. <laughs> So it's your fault. Coach, coach included. Stop holding the game back, will you? <laughs> Insult a player whenever you see one. You, have, you now yeah. have permission. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you speak to a lot of the players, Jürgen, about this, the European challenge, pushing themselves up that ladder, they will say that European coaches, given the choice between an American and an Argentinian or a Ghanaian of equal quality, will always take the non-American, that there's still a stigma that surrounds the, the American player. Do, do, you, do you believe that? Do you sense yeah. that? Do you agree with that? I think it's true. So you've got to be better than that Argentinian or Brazilian or Uruguayan. Simple as that. Yeah, so you only kind of get to that point where these coaches kind of turn the corner towards our players. If, if you go there and you're better than them. So that, how, how do you get better then? By working harder, you know, being the first that comes to training, being the last that leaves, doing extra work after every training session. So you got to convince your coach. When I hear players kind of call me, say, the coach is not playing me. Then I tell them, listen, they're not doing enough. Simple as that. If you would kind of work the, you know, 10 times more than any other player, then eventually every coach will play the best players because every coach wants to win. You know, so you got to convince him that you're better than the other one, you're better than the Argentinian, you're better maybe than the Brazilian, you're working harder, you're more responsible, you're more kind of accountable for what you're doing, eventually they will play. You know? But uh, um, there are also players out there, they like to have their excuses and say, coach, coach doesn't like me. It's not the case. You, know? you are working with these players in this great American soccer global diaspora. I'm fascinated. The big challenge right now for you is squad selection. Who is going to be that final 23? And it's, a, it's a, an amazing challenge for you because you are trying to compare apples and oranges. A, a Norwegian star in the Tipelagen in Norway. How do you evaluate him 
against a, a Turkish league midfielder or a central defender in the Bundesliga who is a substitute against an MLS veteran. It's very apples and oranges. You're a man who invests a lot of energy and stock in technology. What sort of stats do you emphasize to help you work out exactly who's in and, and, and who's out? Well, uh, the biggest part of our evaluation is obviously when we have them with us. You know, then we see how it fits in this whole puzzle, and we have a, a very clear picture of every one of these these guys. Um, then we use obviously technology. We can pull uh, um, every game around the world, you know, from servers down on the next day. You know, we have everything available. You know, index the players. You know, I can watch. You know, the Norwegian American player playing Rosenberg tomorrow with all these 80 ball touches. It's no problem. Nordic Messi. Um, <laughs> haven't found that one yet with an American passport. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's obviously, you know, help of technology is, is huge. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we really kind of see um, the characters. We see what they bring to the table. Uh, we know what we need as in that process, building a team that is really uh, um, ready for a challenge like a World Cup. We're not only soccer skill-wise, but especially mentally ready for going through two months. We have one month preparation, hopefully a long month of tournament. Um, it, is, it is a lot of stress that they're going to kind of have to deal with. Uh, so we need to make sure that these 23 guys, they are ready for that type of stress. Um, Brazil, as many of you know, is, is a different planet in a certain way. Um, it's not going to be a perfect World Cup. It's going to be a World Cup where you have to be patient. You have to deal with things that you don't even know yet. Um, so you can't expect a perfect world. It's not going to be the, the Western society kind of expectation with perfect traveling, perfect hotels and, and everything. It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm not going. Um, so uh, you need to have players that are ready to deal with that. Yep. It's no big deal. You know, whatever field we train on, we train on and whatever hotel we stay in and all that stuff. So um, we have a pretty good picture about our player, every one of them and and we're going to choose hopefully the right 23. So it's about physical ability, it's about mental commitment, it's about squad culture and gelling. You've got this global pot of players, Norwegian Americans, Icelandic Americans, German Americans. I mean, the dual national, to me, is one of the great last legacies of the Cold War. These thousands of, of kids who are many of them uh, sons, daughter, uh, sons of uh, U.S. servicemen uh, who served. The U.S. soccer is kind of the twin torments of dual nationals being shoved into the team on the eve of the World Cup. David Regie, the Frenchman in 1998, but is also still suffering from Giuseppe Rossi, the ones that got away, Nevin Sabotic, who plays for, for Serbia. How do you pursue this dual national kind of courtship and make sure that these new guys who are coming in and still may come in mm. understand the culture that you've already built in your squad? Well, I think it's it's really fascinating uh, what happens in, in soccer globally because it's a global sport. It's not a domestic sport. It's not an American-American sport. Um, so it's played by global rules, you know, and, and by the fact that globalization is, is, is happening since uh, uh, many years now, um, you suddenly deal with... Uh, uh, this whole international picture, you know, with dual citizenship uh, um, players that grew up in different countries, if it's in Mexico and Argentina or Germany, Iceland, Nor Norway, with all American passports. Um, so I think there's no other thing as fascinating as, you know, melting these kids, identifying them, talking to them, seeing how good they are. At the end of the day, they need to be good enough to be kind of considered by us. But then also helping them to go through that, uh, um, to that path, you know, to say, I want to play for the United States of America because they reflect really America. You know, if you look out there, you know, America is the melting pot. America is global. Um, you know, I think more than three million Americans live outside of the United States, you know. And, and so soccer reflects all that. You know, and in a totally different way, and and for us coaches, it's 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 just fascinating to see that. And and if we can win over a very special player, so not losing then a Giuseppe Rossi to Italy, or to Boric to uh, another, so yeah, we're getting stronger and stronger in in convincing these players. You know, play for this amazing, amazing country, and uh, it, it's 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 a cool process. It was fascinating watching Julian Green, 18-year-old German, born in Tampa left when he was two. Terrific prospect. Both feet incredibly quick, 
incredibly mentally quick, trained with the squad. He's not yet uh, committed uh, to USA or Germany. Is this another way, bringing these gentlemen in, courting these gentlemen, of, 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 of sending a message to your squad that there's always another level, there's always another level? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important for everyone to see that, you know, a, a national team, in a certain way, an all-star team, has an open-door policy. You know, we, we don't know, you know, if there's a special kid coming out in Scandinavia tomorrow or in Canada or in Mexico, whatever. Our job is to find them, to identify them, evaluate them, and then see if we can integrate them in our process. Um, and then I think down the road, you know, our players um, realize that it's all about competition, and with every new player you bring in, an older or more experienced player, you know, starts to get nervous, you know, because, shoot, you know, there's another one in the pipeline. There's another one coming through. And, and uh, um, this is what you need. You need that kind of a drive um, to, to always kind of um, make sure that they're not falling asleep and they're not taking it for granted to be on the national team. Let's talk about the World Cup. The draw, Jürgen. The draw, I think you say in German... Is it Hammer Group up? <laughs> a Hammer Group. <laughs> I gave you a trifecta of challenges. You've got Ghana, the team that have become a nemesis, dumping the US out of the last two World Cups. Portugal. Oh, Portugal. And then Germany. Oh, which kind of Germany? I mean, it gave the whole draw a feeling of Greek narrative. It's like Homer's Odyssey with you in the role of Odysseus. <laughs> But you've also got this brutal travel schedule. You've got these three excruciating microclimates, so you can't prepare just for one. If you could just have heat, that would be fine. You've got bloody hot, swampy hot, and excruciatingly hot. <laughs> well, which of the three, and that travel schedule, I mean, the 9,000 clicks between games, which of the three challenges preoccupies you more as you're kind of preparing? None of them. <laughs> I mean... Uh... At the end of the day, you know, it's always both teams play under the same circumstances. And that's the beauty of, of, of it, too. You know, when we play in Manaus in the Amazon, and, and I've been there a couple of weeks ago, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, who we all admire, he's, he's playing there, too. You know, he has to come, <laughs> he has to, come to Manaus, and uh, I don't know if he gets a different jungle. airplane and stuff, but, but he's going to be there, too. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I always kind of think, you know, we are, they also just, you know, they start from zero as well. Uh, and it is a, it's a very difficult group, we understand that, but, but uh, uh, it's all down to these 90 minutes that you played. And, and uh, they're going to face difficult circumstances, they're going to face the heat, the humidity, whatever it is, you know, the same way we do it. And, and, and it's about sending them some signals then once the game starts, you know, and telling, obviously, the way we drew it, it's, it's telling Ghana right away, listen, we are ready for you guys now. You know, we lost last two times in the World Cup. We're ready for you now. And, and our big hope, obviously, is beating Ghana in the first game, having three points, then taking on Cristiano Ronaldo and his team and uh, getting points there as well, you know. And if it's needed and we don't have enough points you know, that po until that point, then we've got to get them from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you told me that you're calling this the World Cup of Patience, which for a man who loves to control the environment, you're very organized, you're very timely, you're very systemic, you're strategic, but you're also very Californian. You have another side, the go-with-the-flow side, the very, the very kind of easygoing. You, you took, can you explain that, that framing, the world cup of patience because I think it's a very crucial concept for us to all understand as we approach Brazil 2014 um, I, I think you know for fans and, and for teams um, it's going to be a world cup of patience because it's not going to be a, a perfect infrastructure I mean I went through the world cup draw and I was stranded eight hours at the airport in Salvador a little city there where they thought they needed to have the draw um, and uh, <laughs> At two o'clock, at two o'clock at night, then finally I got my flight. I already missed my connecting flight to the U.S. You know, I had to rebook hotels and stuff like that. I said, "Well, you know, I can go now, typical German, and run against the wall and against the wall and against the wall, uh, <laughs> or I just sit back and have another coffee and <laughs> try to get online, do something." You know, so it's a, it's about adjusting to whatever we face. And our hope, in a certain way, is a little bit that maybe other teams that have this kind of perfect flow in everything they do. Maybe struggle a little bit more, 
like the Germans, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and and uh, that's why, you know, it's, it's, every World Cup has its own kind of fascinating side to, you know, the country where it's played. Never a European country won a World Cup in South America. And there are reasons for that, you know, because maybe they run out of gas, they run out of, you know, patience. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so there are opportunities for surprises. You know, we want to be one of those surprises in this World Cup. We know that you know, the quality of the players that Germany or, or Spain or Brazil has right now, we, we don't have that. We, we are realistic. You know, we, I'm not saying we're going to go to Brazil and win the World Cup. We are not there yet. Uh, it takes us maybe another generation of bringing the players through the systems. But on a God-given day, anything can happen. And if we zoom in and we are kind of timed the right way, a little bit similar to an Olympics where an athlete has to time everything he's doing the years prior to that event just for that moment when he has to perform, I think we have a chance. Uh, and uh, this is what we're going to tell the players, and that's also how we're going to train the players. I mean, it's not coming by coincidence, so they're going to have a, a, a nice little experience in the preparation of, of that World Cup. <laughs> I mean, you, you've said, let's talk about that gap, the gap between the U.S. and the, and the Spains, the, uh, the Brazils, the Argentinians, the Englands. Um, in, yep. in the World Cup, you, you, you told me to do well in a World Cup, you need to be ready to go through two months of extreme stress, problem-solving, high tension, and be a team that's ready to go through thick and thin. How close is the U.S. squad to being that team? Um, I, I think a lot of the players that we have now, they, they actually don't know it yet, you know, where they are at their specific time of their career. I, I think they haven't seen their own limits yet because they, it's difficult for them to visualize where, where are my limits, you know, where am I in this whole kind of comparison to the Messi and the Ronaldos and the big shots in the world. Um, so this is a part of our job to tell them this is where we see you in this path. And even if you're a lot further down, actually you can kind of catch up if you do certain things, you know. And, 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 and I think, you know, um, the way that the game developed in this country, you have now a professional league since almost 20 years, you know, you have, they're, they're extending the league, it's getting longer and longer. And they kind of put themselves um, in comparison to the big leagues around the world. We realize now in the United States that soccer is a little bit different. You know, it's not a seasonal game. It's a year-round game. It's an 11-month-played uh, game, you know, all around the world. So if we want to catch up with the best in the world, we got to play it 11 months a, a year. If we want or not, you know, we can't just say to, to telling the kids now they do baseball and then they do basketball and then they do three months of, of soccer. No, if you want to be as good as the other ones in any other job, it's the same way, then you got to do and invest the time and the resources into the game. And, and, and I think we start to catch up. We start to see that. We start to see players coming through MLS and actually because they're playing 30, 40 or even 45 games uh, still not enough compared to Ronaldo that plays between 60 and 65 games. But he's catching up. He's getting better in, in doing what he's doing. So, so if eventually we will improve. How fast we can improve, you know, we'll, we'll see that in the next couple of years. You know, but uh, um, just with the, the, the preparation for World Cup, it's, it's all a bit its own world. You know, we have one month of preparation. We can talk to them every day. Um, as long as they're not on their cell phones all day long, but most of the time we can kind of talk to them and and make them clear uh, that this is the moment to to take advantage of. I'd love to hear more about that message because one of the things that's fascinating and I think important to understand about international management, there's things you can control and there's just vast parts of a player's life when they're with that club team that you cannot control. And there's a line that you know you can't cross. How are you in contact with these gentlemen, the Josies, the Clints, the Michael Bradleys, and, and what kind of messages are you delivering right now? Well, you, I mean, obviously you, you call them, you talk to them, you talk to their coaches because their coaches are the most important kind of connections to us to understand their their picture of the player. Um, but you also can send out messages, you know, just giving them a hint, you know, um, with, with social media or whatever you want to use. Um, it's 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 very difficult for the athletes today um, in this whole outside world to understand, you know, um, 
the demands of, of a profession, you know, because um, professional sports in a certain way, a little bit different, obviously, here through the college system, because in basketball and maybe like in football, most of the kids still go through that at least one or two or three years of college. I don't know how many, but, but in, in professional soccer, basically, there is no educational path to grow into a professional soccer player. So, I mean, you get thrown in, you know, coming out of high school, and now you're a professional. Now you, you need to know what it is about, you know, the whole professional sports world, and you have no clue. So a lot of the work that we're doing is basically going back to basics with our players and tell them, listen, even if you play in the Premier League in England, it doesn't mean that you know how it works. It doesn't mean that you now understand, you know, the demands of, of, of your job, of your profession, you know, uh, how you eat, how you sleep, you know, how, how you live your life, you know, how you understand the media world, you know, and, and how to deal with injuries and all those sorts of things. And because we are not going through that educational path that maybe other sports are doing. So, so you pick the player up where you think he is and then you try to guide him through that process and, and sometimes you're just shocked because you understand and after a couple of conversations that shoot, he doesn't know anything really. Um, and, and it's not his fault because the sport doesn't give him that education. You know, We are not giving them the education to become a professional athlete at the end of the day. So, so it's, it's tricky but it's, it's also then fascinating to kind of enter that world. There's another thing to me that sets the American player apart from, well, let's say the Germans. You've said to me that there's one vision and one vision only for success for the German team. They are expected to win the World Cup. No other result is acceptable. That creates a crucible of pressure. But talking to these American players, they play with a different kind of pressure. That they play with a pressure that every single World Cup for them is a, is a referendum about the place of the sport within American society. And they're, they're constantly, and when you talk to them, they, they feel that they are constantly battling for self-respect in the eyes of American sports fans. Do you feel that? Yeah, but it's good. <laughs> I think it's good. I mean, uh, I mean, do our soccer players want to be on a level like, you know, the, the big basketball players in this country and, you know, American football players and baseball players, absolutely, you know, and and this is the way it has to be. They have to work more. They have to do more. They have to hope that this league is becoming really big, and I'm I'm becoming kind of the recognition for what I'm doing more and more, also in the United States. Um, and and if I make it over to Europe and play for a big club, then I get even more recognized back home. And this is what you want them to do. You you want them to drive for more. Um, I don't think that there is necessarily any pressure. Behind, I mean, it's you know, you you have a, a professional career for 10, 12, 14, 16 years. You know, hopefully, if you're not getting injured or stuff like that. So try to get the most out of it. You know, I think more we have the problem that we kind of deal with a generation of of people that settle sometimes too early. You know, when I sign the big contract in Europe, then I think I made it. You know, and I go to Europe, and the American think, well, he made it to the Premier League or he made it to the Bundesliga. But what have you done? I mean, yeah, you, you're over there now, but in our eyes here in the U.S., you know, you give them special recognition, but overseas, I talk to the people overseas, they tell me, oh, it's just average. You know, it's nothing special. And so you tell the player, yeah, I'm happy for you that you play in the Premier League now, but actually you play for a really mediocre team in the Premier League, and I actually want you to go for a t- team that is in the top four or five in the Premier League, and then play there every week, never be on the bench, you know, and then maybe, you know, playing the champions and stuff like that. So it's for them really difficult to understand so where am I in this whole uh, um, visual uh, world and, and, uh, and I think we just got to keep them hungry. I've got to tell you that when you point at me and say, I know you play in the Premier League, <laughs> it, make, it make, makes a little boy inside of me feel quite good. At <laughs> I'm like nodding, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Jurgen Everton are a big club. Um, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice club. It's a nice club. <laughs> the ball was over the line in 1966, by the way, just to make that one clear. Oh. Um, We're going to have te- goal line technology this World Cup. Uh, it, talking about the profile and the, and the, the self-respect and the, the need to promote the game, is that why you have greenlit uh, Hawk? and myself to come in and make this film uh, with ESPN about this kind of 100-day narrative? 
Um, yeah, I, I think you know it's it's a huge opportunity for us. As I mean, um, a national team of every country is a, is a bit the locomotive, you know, of the sport, and 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 so our national team will be the locomotive, obviously, with the World Cup and and. The, the whole media world around it, hopefully to show people how fascinating soccer is and how much fun soccer is in order to make that game more and more popular here and, and, and also to educate people what is really behind that process and, and, and you know, how a, a team is put together, um, what, what, what every player kind of represents, what is his own world. Uh, um, and and uh, um, we, we are really thrilled that you have the you know, the opportunity to kind of come along with us and see what does it really mean how to go through the preparation of, of, of a World Cup and how much work behind the scene is, is, is getting done. Um, because, you know, our goal, uh, everyone, if it's a coach, a player, a fan or whoever it is, you know, we want to see this game grow to a completely new level. Um, eventually, it takes results, first of all. So we know we have to do well this World Cup, and uh, um, so this is what we're trying to do, but that you have the opportunity to come along and, and see, you know, how we kind of put the puzzle together. Hopefully it shows a lot of people then, you know, what this sport is all about. This is, this is a fun sport. Yeah, we, we met with the players last week to talk about the vision and the mission of the project, and one of them just said, I would like you to make a film that my grandchildren will feel proud of. And I was like, oof, that, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> and he, and he, looked at me, he looked at me like I was an idiot, and he goes, I'm about to play World Cup 2014 in Brazil. That's a lot of pressure. So we are honored to be with you. We're going to take a couple of questions from the audience. I think there's microphones where they are. One last question for me before we hit this. You're a man with a sophisticated understanding of change, Jürgen. What kind of time span do you think it will take when we're seriously talking about overhauling U.S. soccer. Are we talking four years, eight years? Is this a 20-year project? Well, I, I think that you know it all starts on a very, very kind of early grassroots level, and that means our eight to ten-year-olds. Um, do we want to have real good results now immediately this summer in, in Russia 2018 going forward? You know, yes, we want them. We want to be part of the 10, 15 top nations in the world, but to get to a real new level it will take a whole generation still to be built. And I think we're in the middle of that process to lay out the foundation for it. Um, so more than 10 years for sure. But it doesn't mean that we, in the short term, going to have some respectable success, hopefully, this summer. Questions from the audience. We will take them as microphones, I believe. Uh, Coach, how are you? Um, Tell us your name. I'm Nicholas. I'm born and raised in Colombia, South America. Um, how do you teach passion to your players? Um, being South American, the, so, your soccer club and soccer represents your culture, represents your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your tradition. Uh, and even though in the United States there is a big structure and infrastructure for sports where you get discipline and commitment and players uh, being focused, how do you teach that extra thing that you and I know that is key important in the World Cup and in, and in the middle of a soccer match where the player has to make his decision, which is that drive and that passion to, to run a little bit more, to go the extra two or three inches to score the goal. How do you teach that to, to your team? Um, I, I think, you know, um, it's, this is not teachable. <laughs> I think that, um, and this is the beauty, again, of, of every sport, you know, Eventually, the, the, the athletes that make it all the way to the top are the ones that are, have that inner drive and that inner desire and that passion inside of them. Uh, I think this is a, a key message we're trying to get out there is, you know, um, yes, we need coaches and we need the best coaches, you know, and we need to obviously improve them. But uh, the coaches need to understand that, you know, that passion has to come from the player side. So you empower the players you know, to do whatever they like to do in a certain way and how they want to develop. And, and it's, not, it's not you coming from the outside telling them exactly what to do. So this is kind of more the freedom of, of the game. Uh, and the beauty of soccer is very simple. is The more you play, the better you get. You know, it's self-teachable, that sport. It's a bit like inner-city basketball, you know. I mean, nobody, I think, to kind of taught Kobe Bryant doing certain moves, you know, or, or uh, the big shots there in the NBA. They, they kind of taught those moves themselves. And similar is, is soccer. So 
that that passion, that drive has to come out of the kids, has to come out of themselves. Um, and uh, we shouldn't kind of pretend as coaches that we're going to pass that passion on to them. We shouldn't. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Sean. Um, you mentioned that players of equal standing, or the U.S. players of equal standing, as compared to Argentinians and Ghanaians, are often uh, overlooked. Do you feel that other national or nations overlook the U.S. men's national team and their chances at the World Cup? Um, actually, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think yes. You know, I mean, if. I mean, and Rodgers actually was there and, and Frank for those two days before we went to Cyprus. There's a pretty kind of uh, confident understanding from the German side that the group is already done. You know, they already have their nine points. They won their three games and it's, it's no big deal. And, and, uh, and again, you know, then a World Cup is, is about surprises. A World Cup is about the momentum. It's about just in that moment to be at the top of your game. So I think that uh, some nations will underestimate other nations in this upcoming World Cup. And, and still, a lot of coaches in Europe especially underestimate American players, the qualities of American players that they bring to the table. And for giving them more kind of a stronger position or uh, more credibility, um, it really needs also a big success for our team in a World Cup to raise the bar for those players overseas. So obviously, if we would make it into a quarterfinal or in a semifinal of a World Cup, their standing suddenly would be a completely different one if they go to European clubs than it is right now. And uh, um, you're absolutely right in, in the way you... Thank you. Say. Best of luck. Kyle Beckerman to Barcelona, 2015. Sure. It's never too late. Hi, I'm Astrid from Germany. Um, could you talk about moments of frustration when you every day deal with players and structures and coaches that have a different mentality of soccer that is different, not so serious maybe, than the one you're used to from being brought up in Germany? Well, I, I think every environment, you know, you have moments of frustration um, daily. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, then you realize, you know, that it, no matter if you now maybe coach uh, a big club in Europe or a big national team that maybe has the goal to win the World Cup or you're trying to bring, you know, a national team like we're doing now to another, hopefully another level and do well uh, um, of reaching another level in a World Cup, um, you, you're always driven by the people around you. And uh, um, we're trying to build a culture around the, the national team in the United States that is just driving for more, is, is hopefully driving a lot of more kids into the game and, and, and make it more, um, the whole environment more hungry and also more accountable than in other areas. So these moments of frustrations are always part of it. Um, but then you just put them aside and, and you keep working. It's, I think that's what we all do and no matter what working environment we are, we are in. We've got one, time for one last question. Um, I'm Owen. I um, wanted to know how you trained your opposite foot to do what you wanted it to do. <laughs> Owen, we could start right away with that one. Yeah. So if you have a ball. Um, I, I think the good, the, the good part of that question really is that, yes, you can do that. And you can do that on a daily basis. And the more you repeat it, doing it, the better your weaker foot will become. The more you do it, it's just the amount of time you put in there. Um, you will see, you know, what a couple of weeks can actually do to your weaker foot. You know, are you right-footed or left-footed? Right. Right, so we're going to work with your left, left one then, day in, day out. And you will make it happen. You, get, you can become really, really good. Oh, you need to invest a lot of time. Owen. It's all right. Owen, um, before 2026 World Cup, you'll be up on the stage, I hope. <laughs> I really do. Keep working at it. Guys, I'm afraid we've run out of time for questions, but we're grateful to all of you. We'll work out a way to make sure those questions are asked and uh, we'll deal with them digitally. But I, I, want, I want to close with one last question for you and, and, and give you a word. I, I have a recurring dream. We've talked about this, Jürgen. My recurring dream. Maracana, July, Clint Dempsey walking up the steps, 
Ascending those stairs, set blatters there, trying to not be disgusted. <laughs> As he hands over that trophy to sweet American hands. Am I going to see this dream come true in my lifetime? Why not? <laughs> keep, keep dreaming. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a last word. I, I, I mean, what, what does it really take? It takes uh, seven games in a row that you have to win, basically. Uh, I mean, you can maybe lose one in the group stage, you know, but then obviously with the knockout stage. If you get in a knockout stage in a World Cup, that means you need to win four games. So is that possible one day? Absolutely. No, but I'm not saying we are kind of becoming World Cup winners this summer, but anything is, 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 is doable. So I'm a very Keep negative dreaming. man, <laughs> but it doesn't take a lot to get me very excited. And when I hear you say that, it reminds me of two quotes that I want to leave you with from two great historical men before you go off to Brazil. Abraham Lincoln, you'll recognize this one, America. His 1863 letter to Major General Joseph Hooker He said, beware of rashness, but with energy and sleepless vigilance, go forward, go forward, give us victories. And, and another great man who roughly paraphrased it, Sir Ian Dark, Pretoria, South Africa, 2010, go, go, USA. <laughs> Jürgen Klinsmann, thank you very much. Godspeed. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.